Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, if we could turn in our Bibles to the second half of chapter 28 in the book of Acts. This morning, I have the pleasure or the honor of um, closing out the book, and it's been a, a wonderful and profitable study that we've had together here as an assembly. Acts chapter 28, and for the first time in a long time, we have a portion of scripture that I could recall for me being up here that's more manageable than uh, other times. Um, we have uh, just a half a chapter to cover, and with the help of God and the Holy Spirit, we should be able to get through it. At least that's what my plans, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, so let's go ahead, without any further delay, turn to Acts chapter 28. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 16. Acts 28, verse 16. And when it came, and when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept them. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I have, not that I ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came and showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, they came, there came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from the morning till evening. And some believed the things that were spoken, and some Believe not. And when they agree, and, and when they agree not among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word, while well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of the people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But it be, but be it known therefore unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reasoning amongst themselves. And Paul dwelt two years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Let's look to the Lord for help as we look into his scripture. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Father, our morning, this morning our prayer is that we would see Jesus in the Scripture, that His name would be glorified, that we would be blessed, that we would be refreshed for the week, that we would uh, look into Thy Word, and that it would have an effect on us, that we would not be like that man described in James, that he would look himself in the mirror and turn away unchanged. Father, we ask that Your Scripture would have an effect on us, that your Holy Spirit would move us, that we would be changed from it, Father. We ask these things in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Um, 
there's many times that I read the, uh, the, the book of Acts, and I always found it puzzling the way it ends. Um, and, you know, years ago I, I would read it and I would think, man, this is open-ended. It ends kind of strange, right? It just says, Paul kept preaching, right? And so it, it helps when we consider the book of Acts, um, and I think many brethren have have expounded this from here while we're studying the book of Acts. We we always tend to cling on to narrative and cling on to persons in the story because that's easy easier to remember. And we think of it as the Acts of the Apostles because that's kind of what the the uh, the book has been named. But more accurately, is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And the spreading of the gospel. Um, it's not so much concentrating on the individuals uh, that were being used of God. Um, in my mind, it, it always the book of Acts starts, the disciples are gathered, and the emphasis is on Peter, and, and the narrative follows Peter, and it gets to a point where there's a small diversion, and it follows Philip. And then it goes to the story of uh, Stephen, and then the conversion of Paul, and then the, the rest of the chapter, for the majority, it follows Paul till the very end. And, and you're thinking, all right, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? Um, what happened to Paul? What happened to him at the end? What happened to Peter? And, and you, you start thinking along the lines of, of these individuals, um, but that's not where God wants our minds to go. And God knows what he's doing when he writes scripture. Amen? Um, and what he wants us to know is what's written here in the word of God. Um, and it's been mentioned by many brethren, as far as the key verse to the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, and these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he speaks to the disciples after he's risen, he goes, but ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of earth. And so we have to get that in our heads, right? When we're reading the scripture and seeing where the story goes, and with that in mind, it's a very fitting end to the book of Acts. And I'm, I'm still going to stand on the ground that it ends in an open, open end. And it's, it's an ongoing process, as we're going to see. Now look at the way that it's broken in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, all of Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. God wants to save everybody. And here he's demonstrating where it starts in Jerusalem and then to the rest of the country in Judea and then to the other scattered tribes and to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's where we end up. That's where Paul ends up in Rome. How far away from Jerusalem is this? This is probably to, to the uttermost part um, that Paul would, would um, have known. So let's look into God's word. Um, in more detail. So, I wasn't here a couple of weeks ago. I was actually out of out of town with with my family visiting my in laws, uh, and I went back and I, I listened to uh, the message given by Brother Dave Bosworth, the story that led up to this, uh, just to have some continuity. And he did an excellent uh, job expounding those verses. And we arrived. We finally arrived in in verse sixteen to Rome. Um, there's been many, many hardships. I think of the, the, the message that Brother Aaron gave of, of the hardships they had at sea. Paul hasn't had an easy trip. It's been difficult. It'd be difficult for anybody. If you consider everything that he's gone through, um, he's arrived at a, a very long time um, to finally get to Rome. You would think he would be relieved and that he would you know, take a few weeks off and relax. Um, I mean, just considering everything that he went through from, um, well, the being taken up in Jerusalem was not a pleasant experience for him. Um, and then taken, being falsely accused, taken into a ship, and the ship 
the, the trip doesn't go well at all. Um, it gets delayed. There's, the winds are against them. Um, they get diverted. They jump another ship. They get shipwrecked. Uh, they get pushed out to a small little island by the will of God. He was directing them. And they get to the, the island of Malta. And there's a great work done there by Paul. And then they finally make it after months and months to Rome. And again, he doesn't, he doesn't take the stance of, man, I have suffered a lot. He doesn't take the stance of being discouraged. He immediately continues the work. In Acts 23.11, Paul would probably cling on to the words that the, the Lord himself would say to him, and a night the following, and, and a night following the Lord Jesus stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Imagine that. With everything that could have gone wrong, with all the the uh, going through a Eurovaclodon. I mean, we went through a Hurricane Irma. We went through a Hurricane uh, um, Matthew here. And going back further, we went through a Wilma, through an Andrew. This is a Eurovaclodon. I imagine it's a tempest, it's a, a hurricane that was just as violent, if not more violent. The difference is they don't have all the technology, all the radars, and they don't have uh, Cat 5 buildings and Hurricane... Uh, impact windows and doors to prepare. They were in a ship in the middle of the ocean, in the Mediterranean. Um, and Paul would be at peace. He would be at peace knowing that it is God who is in control. Regardless of the circumstance, it is God that's the driving force. And he would take comfort in knowing that God had him there. Had him in these difficult circumstances... It was God that was moving the ship to where he wanted to go. It was God that sent the ship to wreck in the middle of an island in between Africa and Sicily. It was God that promised that there would be no life lost. And, and Paul would take faith and confidence in knowing that it was God that was doing these things. Um, it wasn't of his own strength that he made it to Malta alive. It wasn't of his own strength that he made it to Rome alive. Um, God protected him. And in verse 16, he, he's placed not in a prison, but he's placed with this, to dwell with this, uh, guard that had kept them. This guard that, that witnessed all these events, uh, through the thick and thin, uh, in, in the type of a house arrest, if you will, um, which could have been a mercy. He could have been in jail with the rest of the, the people, the 200 plus people that were on the ship. And then so we get to to um, the portion of Scripture, right? He arrives, and then we could break down the rest of the chapter, um, really in, into two or three sections. Paul reaches out to the, the rulers of, of the Jews in, in, in Rome, and then ex- explains to them his situation. Um, and then the second half is him preaching to them, and then the book ends with uh, the ministry continuing. So let's, let's take a look at um, the tactic and the method that Paul uses when he reaches out, right? Whenever Paul, when we follow Paul through the missionary journeys, wherever he would go, he would first seek the Jews and he would look for them in synagogues where they were gathering um, and nothing changes. Even though he is a prisoner, with some some kind of privilege to have freedom to go in and out um, and to see who he will, to visit who he wants. Um, and you could say that maybe the Roman soldier grew a fondness to Paul to give him these rights. But again, it was the hand of God that was moving these things. It was God's will that Paul would testify of him in Rome. So Paul uses the same method, the same tactic, wherever he travels, uh, we saw this in Berea, Thessalonica, and Corinth. He would seek out the Jews uh, in the synagogues. And he, he wouldn't wait for his arrival, for the word to spread out. Paul's here. He wouldn't wait for gossip to go around as far as uh, why Paul's accused and, and get some falsehood stories out there. Why he's there, why he's imprisoned or under uh, the Roman authority. And he reaches out to the elders three days after he arrived. Um, 
And that's, that's intelligent in a way he wants to front him face to face to explain to him why he's there in the situation. Um, we could say that Paul, in his heart, right, his, his desire is for Israel to be saved. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Why does Paul go to the Jews first? Wherever he, wherever he lands on his missionary trip, it's not, we know that he becomes and he's known as the missionary or the apostle unto the Gentiles. And, and we see that conclusion towards the end of the chapter, but he would always seek the Jews. That verse doesn't just end there, unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Romans chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, it says, the, What advantage hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision, much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God, right? It was God who picked the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It was God who revealed himself to them uh, first. And God gave the Jewish people the word of God, the covenants, many truths and promises and the Messiah came through them. And in, in carrying out the gospel, we got to remember that we don't ex- exclude the, the, the Jewish people, that nation of Israel. There's a lot of anti-Semitism all through, trickled out through all the history. And I say that's something that's satanic as far as turning our backs on Israel, as Paul doesn't. He doesn't turn his back on his own nation and his desire would be that they would receive the Messiah. His desire is that all would be saved, especially Israel. And he would seek to reason with them and plead with them and explain to them Jesus Christ. Reveal to them what was revealed to him and shed the light, the light of the gospel that saved him. Notice how Paul speaks. Now, you, you have to consider, it's been months, right? And, and I, it says that time kind of heals all wounds, makes you forget things, whatever fight, argument that me and the wife had a few months ago, that kind of goes under the bridge and it's, it's nice. But when, when something comes up, remember when this happened and, and it brings up these old things that we're supposed to kind of let go, but it's, it's not as when it's, it's, when it happened yesterday, something that happened yesterday will be more, uh, fresh in your mind. Uh, but the events that Paul went through were so traumatic that any individual would come and they would come with a bone to pick, right? I mean, if you think about what happened to him, he's, he's spreading the word of God, preaching the gospel, preaching Christ, wherever the spirit would lead him. He sets it up upon his heart to go to, to Jerusalem again with that heart for his own nation. He goes and he subjects himself to the elders there, the local elders. And the local elders didn't necessarily receive him uh, gladly, hey, tell us what the Spirit of God showed you. No, he went subjection to them um, and took the oath that they were, that they, the tradition of sanctification that they put him under. Was it necessarily? In my opinion, probably not. Uh, but yet he still would. And while he was in the temple, the Jewish people that were that were there and that were that knew Paul, uh, they drove him out. They almost beat him to death. Had it not been for the Rome for the Roman uh, overseers that saw him, that they stopped him right before he got killed. The scripture would say, right before they killed him, they intervened and saved Paul's life. Now think about Paul, his heart and his nations is for, for Israel to be saved. These are the very people that have tried to kill him on countless occasions that they've, that they've uh, beat him and that they almost beat him to death. Not only that, uh, think about the, once he, once he was under the Roman authority, he would plead his case and it would say in, in, uh, in, in, um, in this passage that the Romans, they examined him and they would see that there was no cause of death in, in verse 18. And, and Paul would, would go, go on, right? He would plead his case very similarly to the Lord Jesus Christ. They would say, Pontius Pilate would say, I find no fault in him. Talking about Jesus Christ. The same thing the Roman authority would say that they examined him. Hey, this guy has done nothing deserving of death. And yet the Jews would not let up. 
Paul doesn't come here screaming about those Jews, how wicked they are, how that they're trying to put him to death unjustly. He doesn't complain about the, the treacherous uh, journey here. He comes in a very diplomatic, in a loving way towards the Jews. His only complaint was, or his only uh, thing that he wanted to explain to him is why he appealed to Caesar. Um, and he made it clear that he wasn't speaking bad of our nations, of our fathers, of our customs. Um, he wasn't putting down the Jews. As it, this was kind of the, the, I, I guess the stigma that followed him as far as the, the, the gospel is going out to the Gentiles and, and there's Greeks being saved, there's the barbarians being saved. Um, Paul would, would clarify that his, his appeal to Caesar was because of the accusation. The Jews were not letting up. Um, and here is the key verse to the, to this passage. Uh, that we're covering and, and where we're going to spend some time in. For this cause I have called unto you to see and speak with you. Because of the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And here he gets directly to the heart of the issue, the matter, right? Why am I chained? Because of the hope of Israel. Because of the hope of Israel. It makes you ponder... How, why he uses that phrase, the hope of Israel. Well, it's talking about Jesus Christ, specifically. He is the hope of not just Israel, he's the hope of the whole world. This is what made a difference in, in Paul's life, right? He, he knew that he was gonna, gonna go through hardship, right? The Lord appeared to him and he, he promised uh, that he would protect them, that he would watch over him. I mean, think about the experiences that Paul faced in, in spreading this hope of Israel, right? He was stoned to death by the, the same people that would, in a sense, accept him. Some, he would be in a different location where the people would hear it. They would call him, claim for, for him to be a god, and then a few verses later, they would look to be stoning him. Um, Paul would take uh, courage in these difficult circumstances, as negative as they, they may be, uh, because it's not the opponents that he feared, not his own capability, his own uh, uh, strength that he would rely on, but it was in the will of God. It was in the will of God. And, and when we read these epistles of these wonderful verses that we have committed to memory, sometimes they're just words. And you, you, you consider uh, verses like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 you think about it, short, simple verse, beautiful verse. But for that man, it, it, it was reality. For him to live was Christ. It doesn't matter what affliction, what circumstance he was in. For him to live was Christ. There was nothing else. And if he was to die from it, guess what? It would be a gain. He would be in rust. He would be with his Savior. In 1 Peter 3.14, it says, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. These are hard words to take in. We live in an umbrella in, in, in this cushy cloud called the United States where we have these liberties. It's not necessarily going to always be this way. Thank God that we live in a nation that gives us these liberties to gather and remember the Lord Jesus Christ and to spread the word and to be obedient to the word of God without violating any uh, national law. That's not the case everywhere in the world. But here Peter's writing to, uh, to, the, to the saints, if you suffer righteousness sake, happy are you. If you're suffering, you should be happy. Imagine that. Uh, think about in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a very young man when, when he got commissioned as a prophet. And my goodness, what a life Jeremiah had to lead. Knowing that he's going to give a message to a people and they won't hear. Knowing he's going to give a, a warnings of the pending judgment to come to Israel if they don't repent, if they don't turn from their idolatry. And not only would he witness, he would give the message, they would chastise him for it, they would throw him in prison. Uh, and he would see what he was prophesizing, carrying out. And God, when he would commission him, in Jeremiah 1.8 it says, Be not afraid of their faces. Be not afraid of their faces. It's different when you text somebody, uh, 
certain things or when you're on the phone. This happens to me at work occasionally. Sometimes we would get into disputes over delays on projects uh, and people could be nasty on email and over the phone you'll get some text messages that will be super aggressive. And when you say, all right, let's meet in person, when you see a face that you're speaking to, it changes. Because no longer is this person speaking just to any, just an empty email address. They see it's a person. And there's some respect and some restraint is held back. And things kind of get discussed as far as what the differences are. You come up with a solution. Seeing somebody face to face changes the game. And here God is warning Jeremiah, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Imagine um, what affliction we have, right? When we represent God, when we represent Christians, Jesus Christ, when, when your coworker says, you believe that stuff? Do you believe that stuff? In my job, everybody thinks that they're very intelligent people. And when they find out you're a Christian, you really believe that stuff? Right? To, to your face, and you, you stand up, yeah. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. And they kind of take it taken aback. Um, and here, Paul would take courage in these beautiful words. He was not afraid of the opponents. He was not afraid of the Jews. He was not afraid of the Romans, for he knew that God was with him, that God willed for him to be in Rome to testify of him. So here we go on to this this concept that that uh, Paul is giving them uh, of the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel is resurrection, resurrection life in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the heart of the matter is. And they their response to them, you know, we haven't heard any news. We haven't gotten word from Judea, from uh, Jerusalem. Um, you know, we, 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 we don't know. The only thing that we have heard, right, the, the gospel spread, spread through all of um, Judea, through Greece, through that known world, and, 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 and it spread very quickly. Uh, what they do say is they desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest concerning this sect. This sect um, is the way that it was referred to. Christianity. They didn't have a name for it at the time, uh, but they, they would call it, refer to it in this verse as the sect. For we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Right? So the task at hand is very, it's a steep one for Paul. Because these were Jewish people. These were religious Jews or, or practicing Jews. Orthodox Jews would kind of be what we would translate. People that would take this uh, the writings of Moses seriously and try to apply it, try to please God, try to live a sanctified life. And these were serious Jews, not, not the typical uh, Jew um, that just claims Jewish uh, heritage for culture, but sometimes some of the Jewish people that I know are the most pagan people that I know, um, that they just do uh, these... Um, the religious holidays and they keep tradition to the Jewish things just, just to identify as a Jewish person, but they don't really believe in God. Most of them are actually atheists. That was not the group that Paul was speaking to. He was speaking to religious Jews that believed the Old Testament, that clung onto the books of Moses, unto the prophets, until the law of Moses. And here he had to, to present to them uh, this resurrection through the Lord Jesus Christ this hope of Israel and this hope of the whole world. You have to preach to them, looking unto, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one whom they helped crucify, uh, to whom God will make known the, what are the riches of the glory of the mystery around the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here Paul would have to... Uh, Expound to them Jesus Christ without without turning them away. 
Our brother Aaron this morning, he, he, and it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle to, to the, the, the Jewish person that believes uh, the law, that, that believes the Old Testament. Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. Why is it plural? And they had to come to this concept that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. It was not easy. I mean, it was not easy for Peter. You think of when, when, when uh, God would um, tell him in a dream, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response, very foolishly, would be, not so, Lord. Because his, his uh, image or his um, belief that that was holiness. And it was at one point. God wanted the nation of Israel to be set apart. And not, not saying that that's not valid. But God was revealing to him something new. And Peter would say, not so, Lord. Imagine if, if God didn't come to Peter at night first. And then here comes Cornelius. Hey, Peter. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing about this Jesus Christ whom you're preaching. You know, this is something that's been moving at my heart. Um, could you come over? Peter would be like, oh, I can't, you know, have this going on. Okay, how about next week? Well, see, Cornelius, I can't. Because, because I'm a saint. And you, you're, you're, you're a Gentile. I'm not allowed to go into your house. What kind of preaching of the gospel would that be? And Cornelius might respond to him, well, Peter, I mean... I've been doing good works. I, I do, uh, you know, I pray. I, I believe in this creator. Um, an angel of the Lord appeared to me, Peter. Did you know that? Has an angel of the Lord appeared to you, Peter? Well, not, not recent. You know what? He, he, he told me to seek you out specifically. Oh, how awkward would that be for Peter? But no, God would prepare his heart because Peter, again, was a Jew. Then he grew up learning and, and, and believing these customs. And so we have to be merciful in a sense, thinking of, of, oh, why are these Jewish people being so hard to Paul? No, some of them were God-fearing Jews. And so Paul would, would have to tread lightly, not, not diminishing the gospel or washing it down, right? The message does not change. But he was speaking to a specific group of people uh, that had certain beliefs where he came from. And he was going to speak to them about this sect, the sect of, of this group of Christians, of, of uh, resurrection through Jesus Christ, believing in him. It was not going to be an easy task. In verse 23, this is how God works, right? He sends them to, to Rome. You, he, he technically could be in a prison, not allowed to talk to anybody. That doesn't happen. He makes it to Rome safely. He's in a house arrest with freedom to go out, freedom to see whoever he wants to see, and sets up a, an appointed time and day where they came to his lodging and he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning until evening. Sometimes we, we start looking at our watches, right? Oh my, David's only got five minutes left. I have that pot roast at home. I mean, I'm supposed to go visit my friend from morning until evening, right? These people were hungry. The ones that were believers, the ones that wanted to believe, that were interested, and the ones that were opposing they were trying to oppose, but certain things are of such importance that the time was not an issue. Time was not an issue. And he, look, look at what Paul does. It says, he started persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. Where else have we read something like that? Who, who's done something like that? How, can I take your mind back to the road of Emmaus? After Jesus Christ died and, and rose again the third day. right? And you could look at it in Luke 24. It says on the road to Emmaus in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all scriptures things concerning himself. This is the method Jesus Christ used to preach the gospel 
to future disciples of him. These men were, were wanting, they were hungering for that knowledge. And Jesus Christ, did he say, all right, started telling them the story of his crucifixion? No, he, he starts in the Old Testament, right? You've got to remember, this is the book of Acts. There's no New Testament back then. Then even if there was a New Testament, it would not be the most effective thing to preach from to the Jews. He started at Moses and the prophets. Think of Philip when he was taken up by the Spirit and put to witness to this Ethiopian in Acts chapter 35. It says that he opened his mouth and began at the Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What Scripture was that? Was that the book of John? No, it was in Isaiah that he was reading, the Old Testament. Uh, and that should be a lesson to us, right? We don't ignore the Old Testament. It pleases me that when I pick up my son from a youth group, he tells me they're going through the book of Exodus, and I always ask him on the ride home, like, okay, what chapter are you reading? Okay, what did Mr. Ben uh, say about that portion? What did T.L. Jamel say? And, you know, he, he grasps things, and, and it's good that we spend time in the Old Testament. For in it, we find Christ. Christ is revealed in the Old Testament. We just have to do work. If you look at all the New Testament uh, scriptures, they reference the Old Testament. If not all of them, most of them do. Um, even within the Old Testament, it references the Old Testament. This morning, when my brother was reading from the book of Psalm, Isaac goes, hey, this verse is in the book of Exodus. And I'm like, sure enough, it's from the book of Exodus. Here's King David quoting an Old Testament. Right? So this is something that we need to do work. This is getting revelation from Scripture. It's not easy. We need to put in the time. We need to take courage from the Old Testament. We should be diligent to study it, to dig it, to find the prophecies of Christ, to uh, be able to expound from them. Okay, so we get to verse 24. And verse 24 is really the end. Verses 25 through 29 kind of gives specific details of what happened in verse 24, where some believe the things that were spoken and some believe not. Right? Some believe the things that were spoken and some believe not. We have a lot of ministries. When you consider soccer ministry, we were there many, many years. Uh, very few got saved from it. The gospel got, message got given many times. We don't know if it's going to open up again. Uh, Brother Chris would always tell me, and he says, take courage, right? We're, we're giving the gospel. We're just casting out the seed. It is, it, it is God who does the work, right? If, hoping that it falls on that fertile soil. But we were giving the gospel. That's the message. That's all that we could do. That's all that Paul could do. He would persuade them about Jesus Christ. The fact that it's Paul is not going to save them. The message is what saves them. Uh, camp ministry. There's been some, some weeks in camp where oh, none of the campers got saved. Well, take courage. The message got out there. They might not get saved that week, but that message might fall into their hearts and it might grow and they might be saved. So here is Paul, probably saved from Jesus Christ, the most enabled speaker when it comes to expounding Scripture, the most effective preacher. I mean, think about the New Testament. The majority was written by him. If somebody can give the message, it would be it would be Paul. And yet some would not believe. So we shouldn't be discouraged at the message going out for the word. God's word does not come back void. We need to take courage from it. Um... Now, considering in, in, in the last negative three minutes that we're already over, so we're going we're gonna to finish this. Just give me a, a couple more minutes, brothers and sisters. Um, the specific passage that's, that's uh, referenced here is in the book of Isaiah, where it says that they agreed not amongst themselves, some departed, and, and the, 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 divide, the great divide was concerning this passage, um, that Paul would refer to, say, go unto these people, and this is verse 26, and say, hearing, ye shall hear, and shall not understand, seeing, ye shall see, and perceive not. For the heart of God, or for the heart of this people is wax, gross, and their eyes, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes 
they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and they should be converted and I should heal them. And so Paul would reference that scripture and he would he would tell them, hey, you don't believe the scripture, it's going to go to the Gentiles. They will hear it and they will believe it. And the, the Jewish people, right, thinking that they're a nation that was chosen by God, which is true, that they were given the covenants of God, which is true, that they were given the tabernacle, that God led them through the wilderness, that God established a kingdom, that God did all these things through them. Now God's going to work and the Gentiles, to them, it was hard to hear. Hard to hear. Thinking that the kingdom of God was not going to be reestablished in Jerusalem as they have hoped. God is now going on to the Gentiles. And may this jealousy, perhaps God is using this, this tactic of jealousy to drive, bring the hearts of Israel back to himself. Now, I, I, I want to be specific here when it comes to this portion of scripture that it first is quoted, written in the book of Isaiah by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The words of God given by Isaiah in chapter 6. It is quoted four times total in scripture. It's quoted by Jesus Christ. It's given, and it's, it's repeated three times, don't, not numerically four times. One in Isaiah, second time by Jesus Christ in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. The third time, by John the Apostle, in, in John chapter 12, verse 40, at the end of Christ's ministry, it's a narrative that John the Apostle, when he's writing the book of John, puts it in there. And then the fourth time, by the Apostle Paul, here. What is this referencing? What is this saying? Because in two of those occasions, in the book of uh, Isaiah, and in the book of John, it quotes it as, I will make the heart wax. I will make them hard of hearing. And they shall not believe. Right? This is God saying it. And then in the portions of the Gospels, when Christ would quote these, this scripture, this is very important that we notice the difference here. Same portion of scripture, there's a slight difference. It specifically says that the people's hearts were wax, that the people were blind, that the people, right? What is the difference and why is it, per, why is it so important to consider? There's this, there's, there's a belief that God is a, a God that will harden the hearts of people, that will make them blind, that they may not be saved. And I tell you this morning, brother and sister, that is not the God who I believe in. That is not the God that I worship one that would make people not be saved. What this is referencing to, and we can't take these, these verses out of, out of um, just out of reference, uh, out of context, I should say, um, that God would make people create vessels just for destruction, that create people to not be able to be saved. You have to look at when those verses are given. Right? In the occasion of John, where it quotes it directly and it says that I will make these people's heart wax. This is at the end of John, at the, at the end of Lord's ministry, after countless miracles, after people that he would shed light to them and they would not believe. He would do a miracle and they would not believe. Our brother Aaron quoted that portion where he says, if you don't believe me, look at the works. Believe in the works for they testify of me. And they would not believe. And yet, Jesus Christ would be gracious. And when he would quote it, he said that the people are making their ears, their hearts wax, that they're making their hearts hard, that they won't believe. It was not God that was making them unbelief, that was not allowing them to be saved. Um, God works in the hearts of men, yet he respects everybody's free will. He doesn't want people to be saved because he says so. He wants them to choose him, to love him willingly. He doesn't want to create robots. Could you imagine, uh, John Langenex would always give this, 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 uh, illustration. If, if my wife was a robot and she had an iPad stuck to her and I say, alright, I want my wife to love me. Push a button, 
kiss, and she gives me a kiss. All right. All right, today I want a hug. I push a button and she gives me a hug. How would that make you feel? Is that love? That she doesn't have any free will to love me? That's not what God wants. God doesn't want robots. He wants us to choose them. And to illustrate this, I think of two examples in the Old Testament, and we'll wrap up with this. There was a, a, a gentleman by the name of Pharaoh, where God said, hey, Pharaoh, um, you know, I, I spoke to God, and, and he wants you to let his people go so that they may go and serve him and worship him. And Pharaoh goes, who is God? I don't know God. I'm not going to listen to him. I, I have no clue who you're talking about, and I'm not going to let his people go. And God would be so gracious that instead of taking the life out of this man that was hindering his people from living, he would reveal himself to him. Oh, Pharaoh, you don't know who I am. I will show you who I am. Oh, you believe that the Nile is what produces life, what gives life? Well, I'll turn the the Nile into an instrument of death and turns it into blood. Oh, you think that the sun is the sun god raw? You believe that, that that's the god? Well, he turned the sun off. And he would show him signs. And, and here, the same concept. God would tell Pharaoh that I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But that's not what happened. Not happened immediately. God would reveal signs to him. It, it wouldn't say that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Meaning that he would not believe. And after another sign, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Wouldn't let the people go. And after another sign, he would harden his heart. And it will get to a portion in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, where even Pharaoh's own counsel will go on to say, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. This is the finger of God, Pharaoh. Listen. So not, was that, not just Pharaoh hardening his heart. His own people were saying, hey, Pharaoh, this is God. You need to listen. And it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart in disbelief. And then it takes a turn where finally God would harden Pharaoh's heart where he could not believe. Think of the second illustration of this found in Jeremiah chapter 18 where uh, God speaks to Jeremiah and Jeremiah. He says, go to the potters, go to the potter uh, that he's working on, on the clay and he, he tells him to take no and, and he watches as a potter as a lump of clay. And he's working it on the wheel and it's spinning. And it gets to a point where the scripture says that the clay was marred in the hands of the potter. The clay. The potter didn't mar the clay. He didn't ruin the clay. The clay was got ruined it by itself. And then it says that the that the potter grabbed that marred piece of clay and reformed it into something good something beautiful, something new. And God would speak unto Jeremiah. He says, can I not do that with Israel? As the potter does to this clay, to this lump of clay. This this lump of clay that was marred in the hands of the potter, not out of what the potter did, but what the clay did. For if you've handled clay, what happens after a while, it becomes dry in its marred state. It's good for nothing. It's good to be taken outside and broken. But that's not what God desires of people that don't believe. He wants to take that that marred piece of clay and He wants to make it into a beautiful vessel that's useful for the Creator. And here is Paul's warning to Israel. Oh, how he loved Israel. How he spends three chapters in the book of Romans and how he saved my heart is that Israel might be saved. And he recognizes they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And he's trying to expound to them, trying to persuade them. This is the knowledge that's been given to us. Christ crucified, resurrected. And yet, he would warn them the dangers of disbelief. Oh, brother and sister, let this be a solemn warning to us when we preach the gospel when we witness to our neighbors to our friends to our co-workers that it is not us who saves them it's the message that does that be a, a warning if anybody here is not saved that doesn't disbelieve the message that just keeps putting it off the dangers of putting off 
in not believing while the light is there, while the light is given, is a dangerous, dangerous thing, dangerous place to be in, to hear the message, let it go into one ear, to be like that man in James, to see himself in the mirror and not acknowledge his frailties, his defects, while the light is there, rejecting the light, dangerous. And that's what Paul is pleading with his people. And then it comes to an end, as Paul would say that he preaches the gospel for two years, unhindered, carrying out the will of God. Can it? Here we are, over 2,000 years later, right? Carrying on the work, doing the same thing. Nothing has changed. Waiting for the return of Christ. The book, like I said, it ends open-ended. And here the church continues to do its work, preaching the gospel. Most of the apostles that we know of ended in tragic deaths, being executed. Paul would, uh, and again, this is all per, per historical tradition, historians, not inspired word of God, so we don't, we don't take it as the word of God. Most of them died. Peter was crucified upside down. In um, the book, of, the only apostle that was killed that we have account of that I know of in the book of Acts is James. It just says he was killed. He he was the details of that was three words: killed by the sword. Right. And Paul was beheaded, supposedly in sixty four, sixty five A.D. Um, but that's not the emphasis of the book of Acts, brother and sister. It is the work. The work that was carried on for those two years, it is the spreading of the gospel, preaching Christ crucified, the resurrection in Him. And it is Him who we honor. Let's close this meeting in a word of prayer. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for this wonderful book, historical account that you've given us of the early church. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit as it was given then. We're thankful for the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for... Uh, Jesus Christ, the one who saved us, the one uh, who is the hope of Israel, the hope of the whole world. We're thankful for the ministry, uh, for his death, his resurrection, for the salvation that we have through him, for, for the redemption, for the justification that we find in Jesus Christ, Father. We pray for the whole congregation as we depart. Uh, with your blessing, Father, we ask that you would be with them the rest of this week. In your son's most precious name we do pray. Amen.